We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for NFL Week 11. Marquee matchups all over the place this weekend. Key players coming back from injury or coming off the bye. So a lot to get to, including a Super Bowl rematch Monday night. Let's start the show. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for NFL Week 11. I'm John McKechnie. That is Mario Puig. This podcast was presented by our friends over at Circa and our friends over at Splash Sports. Mario, I got to see you in person yesterday. I was up at the Roadwire HQ. Yeah. Uh, for those listening, John was in, uh, was it baseball, stake league? Baseball, That's right. right. Baseball, stake league with Roadwire. So the, the, the Rotowire uh, original, or at least central division, uh, payment place where where you pay the stake that you owe or receive the stake you are you are owed uh, is Tornado Room uh, up on the Capitol Square. So that's uh, that's why John is not uh, was not in Georgia and is back there today. That's right. Uh, so quick little little jaunt uh, up to one of my favorite places in the world and uh, one of my favorite restaurants in the world too. And great to see all the Rotowire HQ guys, really good time. But you know, now we press on, we got an amazing week 11 slate. Like I'm not even just saying that we've got awesome games across the board. A couple teams on by of course, but not quite of the, of the level of fantasy consequence that what we were dealing with last week when the chiefs and the dolphins and the Eagles and the Rams were off Um, a little bit lighter that way this week, but we have an awesome, Thursday night game uh, to, to kick off the weekend. And Mario, let me tell you, I'm, I'm pretty nervous about this one. This is the Ravens playing host to the Bengals, both teams coming off of yeah. losses at home. Uh, the, both of them, I think it was two of the five games that uh, that were decided with zero seconds left on the clock. Both, both the Ravens lost on a game-winning field goal and the Bengals did as well to the Texans. So this is a this is a huge spot for both of these teams. I th- feel like if, if you're looking at the standings, if the Bengals are able to win this evening, you're looking at a team that that you know now has six wins, uh, has leveled the score with with the Ravens on the season series, and you know has has handed out the Ravens a fourth loss on their season. 
But if, if the shoe's on the other foot and the Ravens win, the Bengals are going to have a very difficult climb if they want to win this division. Uh, I still feel like if they lose this evening that I think that they're still, they still have that run in them where they're, they're, they're probably going to make some noise here down the stretch, but you know, they, they might end up with, with a much lower seed. So a lot on the line this evening, the, the spread in this one, pretty standard. Um, you know, when two fairly even teams are, are squaring off the home team, the Ravens three and a half point favorites in this matchup, your thoughts. Well, I think the Ravens are probably going to lose because it says the the team website, Marlon Humphrey and Ronnie Stanley did not practice this week. So uh, I don't know what either one was declared. It doesn't really matter to me, like especially because both of those guys have been hurt for so long at this point, especially Stanley. It's like if that guy is missing practice time, there's no way I'm going to assume the good case scenario. There's I don't know what basis there is for that. So if Ronnie Stanley, the left tackle, and if the cornerback Juan Humphrey are less than what the Ravens had become accustomed to, you know, especially Stanley. I mean, I know Humphrey was out most of the year anyway, but being without Stanley takes that offense down so quickly. And I, of course, am still kind of not sold on this Ravens offense. I know they've had their good points, but to me, like all the good things that have come out of the Ravens offense this year, other than like Keaton Mitchell is just standard Lamar stuff. And there, there was a need for more than standard Lamar stuff and just, you know, getting rid of Roman. That's a start getting, uh, I guess getting Odell Beckham over, uh, over, over Demarcus Robinson is kind of a start. Yeah. Zay flowers over Willie Sneed is kind of a start, but it's still not much to me. And the Bengals on the other hand, even without Higgins, I think have much more firepower on offense just because of Jamar chase versus X. Like it doesn't matter who he's going against. He's got a huge advantage over them in a way that no one on the Ravens offense has. Uh, they're making Mark Andrews less effective. It's, yep. it's all, it's all bad. And uh, you know, the, the Ravens have the, the very, the very simple fact is the Ravens need to get more explosiveness on offense or they can't hang with a team like the Bengals when the Bengals have Jamar chase and, even without T Higgins. Right. So I, I think Burrow is going to rise to the occasion here. I, I do expect that the Bengals to win. It definitely hurts to to not have Marlon Humphrey in this one. Um, seems like he, he dodged anything super long-term, but he is doubtful for, for this evening. Um, that was a scary moment when, when he just goes down non-contact, nobody around him, uh, but it's just a calf strain, not, not, not the dreaded Achilles, but yes, Ronnie Stanley will not be playing in this one. Um, we've got some questionable players that, that are pretty important, too. I mean, John Simpson on the offensive line has been OK. Uh, Kyle Van Noy has been dealing with the groin that, this week. So that those are concerns as well. That Not that the Bengals are coming into this fu- fully healthy. Although Trey Hendrickson didn't even carry uh, an injury designation after, I think, hyperextending his knee uh, on Sunday. So uh, if he, he's full go against a, a backup tackle, um, that, that could definitely be, be an issue. Um, what do you think about, you know, that there's a lot of hemming and hawing coming out of uh, Charm City on, on Monday about the lack of usage of one Keaton Mitchell. And I swear we're not just placating ourselves because we're Keaton Mitchell guys, but, you know, he, he does what he does in the first half of that game against the, the Browns and then just disappears. I, I thought that last weekend was about as bad of an offensive coordinator performance from, from uh, 
from Todd Munkin, as we've seen thus far in in, in his time with, with Baltimore. It was it was clunky. It was bad. It was not imaginative. It was wrong headed a lot of the time. Yeah, to me, it looks as simple as they're they're putting Justice Hill out there for pretty much every pass blocking snap, and I don't know why. Like I, I can't. I I just I will never understand why coaches act like you know six to eight pass blocking reps is more important than uh the the net effect from scrimmage of putting a superior ball carrier and pass catcher on on those reps in, instead. Like the defense doesn't just uh, every time try to send one extra rusher than there are pass blockers and, and thus, you know, are always planning on there being a pass blocker. Like if you put a guy like Keaton Mitchell out there and just have him run a route instead of having him do the blitz pickup, I would assume the defense would be like, oh, crap, uh, they're throwing it to Mitchell. It's not just Hill who's in there. This is worse for us. You know, it's like just if it's if it's a if it's like a deep drop thing like a seven step drop, I, I, a play action kind of thing. That just seems like a Gus Edwards kind of blitz pick up to me anyway, because you're not running with justice Hill. So you don't have the play action set up with justice Hill, not a credible one anyway. So as, as to why they would do it, I just don't know other than, you know, that, that ostensibly the pass blocking thing. And I, uh, I can't, I can never be the person to tell you why that's important. It doesn't make sense to me. So on the one hand, I would agree like they should just give Keaton Mitchell more snaps or at least every single snap that would otherwise go to justice Hill. I think Gus Edwards is still, you know, the, he, he can't do as much damage in any given play as Keaton Mitchell, but he, he picks up enough plays that they need picked up that he's more useful than Mitchell overall. So yeah. uh, to me, it makes sense, you know, just have Gus, especially because there's, there's such a contrast between them. You know, it's like you just, you tenderize the defense with Gus Edwards you, you you get their, you know, shoulders and knees sore tackling him. And then you put out Keaton Mitchell and say, OK, now now just chase this guy. Now that you're sore and stumbling a little, go chase this like that makes perfectly good sense. I won't ever understand what I, I tend to believe if I really have to say like an answer, I just tend to believe coaches are just kind of full of it and are being at best superstitious and, and uh, like overly cautious. It's 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 a little bit analogous to the whole Andy Reid being like, wow, Rasheed Rice is getting better every week. It's like, no, you're just increasing his snap count every week. Like the the thing that you're worried about, the thing that the, the like bad case scenario you're, you're guarding against doesn't exist. Or if it does, you're bringing it about with your current plan. Like you're you putting your lesser player on the field is what makes the bad thing you fear happen sooner than putting the better player on the field. So uh, I guess I'm oversimplifying it, but as to why the Ravens wouldn't use Mitchell more. From this point, I have no idea, especially since, uh, you know, if, if they're going to if they're going to acknowledge the intention of getting them the ball more. It's like, why would they say that if, you know, now it's now it's going to be easier yet to hold that quote over their head about it if they if they don't follow through. No, it, it, exactly. So, um, yeah, it's it. They're, they're in a tricky spot here. You know, the, the, the Ravens best games have come against NFC teams and uh, they're you know, they, they bank the, the early wins against a. a Banged up Joe Burrow and a Deshaun Watsonless Cleveland uh, team. Both of those games on the road, but now the Ravens have a chance to completely negate uh, the the strides that they took in in September in that regard, and and give up that that kind of divisional advantage with with those uh, road divisional wins by losing two divisional games at home in a span of four days. And that's that's kind of where I'm leaning 
uh, with this one. So I do like the Bengals this evening. Any other uh, fantasy notes on, on the Bengals side with, with T. Higgins being out? Any any kind of secondary pass catchers that, that you think might be in a good spot? Well, I was surprised at how big of a game Tyler Boyd had. I know he dropped that one pass, but it's like they wouldn't have been moving the ball the way they did if he wasn't making all those other plays. So uh, if anyone thinks that, you know, the, the Bengals should uh, cut the playing time of Tyler Boyd and give it to Trenton Irwin instead, that's that's one of those things where the the solution is a lot worse than the problem. Uh, Irwin, I know he had that touchdown. I, I know he's got some kind of amount of like craftiness, but it's that's only the case because it's like he has no real talent. You know, it's like he's, he's got to be crafty because otherwise he's got nothing. So I, I admit it, it is a narrow channel that the Bengals passing game has to work through. Like, I, I think Boyd's pretty good, but Jamar Chase kind of needs to have a big game at receiver. I just think it's kind of I just think that's totally easy to see like happening. It's it's not it's not like such a stretch to imagine 140 yards for Chase here. It's it's happened in Baltimore before, and uh, it certainly could happen again uh, th- this evening. Um, before we move on over to the Sunday slate, we got a message from our friends over at Circa. Get ready for the ultimate big game parties at Circa Resort and Casino. Super Sunday is in Las Vegas this year. Watch the big game poolside at Stadium Swim's big game viewing party. Massive screen, booming game sound, and a view of the pyrotechnic and visual effects throughout the game. Snag the best seat in the Sunday beds, poolside boxes, cabanas, and more. Or touchdown at the world's largest sportsbook, Circus Sports, for the big game bash. Three stories of football glory featuring a 78 million pixel screen. Book your seat with a variety of reservation options, including bottle service, open bar, stadium-style food, and more. I will say the sliders at the pool at at Stadium Swim, tremendous. Don't miss these legendary viewing experiences on February 11th. The big game parties only at Circa Resort and Casino Reserve today at CircaLasVegas.com. We also got a message from our friends over at Splash. Rotowire is proud to partner with Splash Sports for the 2023 Fantasy football season splashboards empowers gaming commissioners to earn by creating contests. Commissioners can set up contests, add their style, and enjoy the evolving Splash Sports platform for customized preferences. From daily to season-long contests, Splashboards caters to various playing styles such as DFS, Pickaxe, and Traditional Survivor. And unlike traditional sportsbooks, Splash Sports pits you against your friends and family, not the house. Splash goes beyond betting a space where friends can connect, strategize, and share the excitement of sports. Rotowire will be running weekly DFS tiers contests on Splash Sports all season. Can you beat the Rotowire experts? Visit rotowire.com slash splash to enter today. And finally, a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're on to Sunday. Well, we just had a, uh, you know, just broke down one of the, the marquee games of this weekend. Uh, this one, maybe a little less so, but I, I don't mean to undersell it too much. There's still some fantasy intrigue, of course, to be had here. We've got the Dallas Cowboys going up against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, the, the Cowboys, 10.5 point favorites on the road in this one, the over-under set at 41.5 at FanDuel, 42.5 over at DraftKings. The, the, I don't mean to say that I've like completely figured out the, the Cowboys, but it, it feels like there's just this long-standing trend with them where they're going to, outside of the Cardinals games, if it's a bad team, they're going to stomp them. And if it's a good team, it, it, it gets a little bit dicier for them. But the, the Panthers certainly fall in that first bucket. And therefore, yeah, I mean, we, we see we say the 10.5 point spread on the road, and I like the Cowboys to cover it. Like, I, I just don't see how the Panthers, even with a, a, a little bit of a rest of a rest advantage in this one doing much of anything. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Dallas can screw up against some lesser teams, but the second part of what you said is definitely true. Like good teams. They, they do not tend to play well against. However, I agree totally that it's, I, I would be shocked if Dallas doesn't cover. Like that's the main reason to think Dallas won't cover is that I think they will by a lot. And <laughs> the reason I think they will by a lot is that, uh, short of Andy Dalton playing quarterback, I don't think the Panthers can score 14 points against Dallas. And even then it's like, how lucky are you feeling with that one? You know, it's like Andy Dalton is a turnover machine too. Uh, just because he's a lot better than Bryce Young right now doesn't mean that he's a competitive quarterback either. It's like Andy Dalton's better than like Derek Carr and Bryce Young and uh, maybe like Kenny Pickett. And that's about all. And mm-hmm. That's supposed to go, uh, you know, leaving out the Tommy DeVito ridiculous cases like that. And he's this guy's supposed to go against the Bryce Young is supposed to go against this Dallas defense. Uh, no, the, the whole thing with Bryce Young to this point, it, it's it's not his fault. Exactly. It's it's kind of frustrating to watch because you can you can see it's just not fair, really. But he doesn't have the physical requirements to hold up at this at this game it's like he just he being as small as he is being as slight as he is he needs to have a, a stronger arm than he has he can't just be tiny and finesse and dallas is just on defense everywhere at once they're everywhere and they're getting closer all the time and you don't have much time no matter what the situation is these things have been these variables have been more in Young's favor throughout various points of the year, and he still is just crashing, burning constantly. So this could be the game where they, uh, I don't know, sorry if this has already happened, but they might bench Bryce Young at like halftime of this game because he goes into the third quarter with like four interceptions and they just need to like, you know, throw in the towel basically. Right, and sort of at that point, you know, the the mental damage of four four interceptions is enough, but uh, you can't, can't risk any more uh, on that front. Um, 
I guess on, on the Dallas side, we do have some some interesting fantasy points because you know they're they're the the viral tweet yesterday, which I did find pretty funny, where where Yahoo Fantasy tweets up, uh, you can uh, drop Tony Pollard now if you want to. He, he's no longer on the undroppable list over at Yahoo. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I really thought Pollard was going to get going against the Giants, and uh, despite being wrong about that, it's like the 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 reasoning that I was using still applies even a week later. I guess what I'm struggling to balance with the the assumption that Pollard, you know, eventually resurges, you know, that balancing that assumption, which I think is correct. And if, especially with a game like this, it's, it's a really good setting. It's like, how do I balance that probably true assumption with the like constantly emerging understanding that, yeah, Tony Pollard basically was an illusion before. And now it's like, we're, 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 we're trying to like, balance the despair of him being kind of a, a fraud fantasy asset versus going too far into despair and, and believing something ridiculous that like, Oh, now Tony Pollard isn't even an average runner. It's like average runners don't go uh, as cold as long as he has, unless they've just had bad luck basically. And I think he's had bad luck in addition to, uh, you know, other things turning against his favor that used to be so, in his favor uh but this this is again a, a circumstance where so many things are in his favor it's like he there's no way right that he could go against the tommy devito giants a, a game where the dallas offense generally went nuts and then a game against these panthers um who have probably the worst run defense i know they did okay against the colts i, I admittedly don't have a good explanation for how that happened but i don't either uh, Aside from that, the, the Panthers' run defense has probably been the worst in the league, and we know Dallas is going to be in scoring range doing whatever they want on offense in this game. So Pollard has to get going in this one. But, uh, yeah, the, the whole idea of him being like a five yards a carry, 280 rush attempt, 60 catch receiver, running back, like that was always ridiculous. And it's, it's you know, it's not going to stop this kind of bad analysis from happening in the future, John, but it's it just shows like, there's way too common of an uh, like a running back analysis, running back projection method where people just, you know, scale up. They just multiply the snaps by whatever. It's like that's not how it works. But there's there's more conditions you have to account for than that. In uh, in like fantasy college football, like it, it's a little bit easier to to see it like it when the, the starter goes out, like the next guy is, is you know, for the most part of the things look relatively similar, like he, he can scale up. But but at the NFL level, it's just. That his running style is so different that, than what Zeke was, was doing uh, there in Dallas. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it was clear that he was just sort of the, the change of pace guy that was getting put in favorable setups and succeeding in them. But now when he has to carry the, the load, it, it just doesn't look remotely the same. Uh, do you have any uh, lingering interest in, in like Rico Dowdle? Do you think that he's someone that, that could be like a flex option this weekend? Well, um, I guess he could be in the sense that he would have been an okay flex outcome in week 10 and in week three, but I don't think Dowdle can play really. I think he's, he's the kind of guy who he's fine. If you're giving him 20 snaps a game or less than that, ideally, but if Dallas ever found themselves in a situation, basically if they found themselves without Pollard, they'd realize all of a sudden like, Oh, Dowdle's not going to cut it. So right. uh, the, the flex thing is, you know, if he gets in the end zone, if, if he gets a long run or whatever, both of which are possible. The, again, the Panthers probably won't have the ball very much in this game. And Dallas will have the ball a lot 
in favorable field positioning. So Dowdle is definitely around to pick up any scraps. I just think um, it, as good as he's done, and he, he deserves credit for how he's done, you have to keep the full prospect profile in mind with these guys, especially these guys who haven't played much in the NFL. That you got to remember who they were in college because uh, Deion Jackson, this is a great case of this. Um, he fumbled like 15 times at Duke and then hadn't fumbled in the NFL except for one time or whatever. And then after, you know, going through last year, mostly okay. Going through the first two or three games this year or whatever, mostly okay. He had like three or four fumbles and then got cut for it. That that was a tendency he showed at Duke and not in the NFL, but only because he didn't get a chance to, to show it again in the NFL. Dowdle mm-hmm. has a long history of fumbling. Dowdle has a long history of being a uh, like memorably stone-handed pass catcher. Mm-hmm. And Dowdle also has a really extensive injury history because he he kind of runs kamikaze, he, you know, does the Chris Ivory kind of running style. So uh, there's the flex thing there, but it's chasing points as I see it. And I definitely don't think he's a handcuff. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm not interested in Dowdle for, for dynasty purposes, but you know, at this stage of the season, if you need points, you know, he's better than Malik Davis, you know, whatever that, whatever that turns into. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So, I mean, there's, there's potential there. And then uh, lastly, Brandon Cooks had the huge game. He scored a touchdown actually in in three of the last four. Do we like to set up again this week? Yeah, sometimes these things, I guess, if if we're being generous to Mike McCarthy, and I don't want to be, then <laughs> what if we're being generous anyway, then you would say like, oh, Brandon Cooks needed time to work with Dak Prescott and work with the system or whatever. And I don't know. I I, I think that 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 how do I say this? I don't think that holds as easily since CeeDee Lamb has also gotten hot lately and was needlessly cold beforehand. It's like, was CeeDee Lamb new to the system in those four of the prior weeks to the last two? It's like, no, Dallas just wasn't doing things they should have been doing. And which is for me to say anyway, Mike McCarthy not doing something that he should have. And then under the pressure of failure, uh, the, the threat of accountability being held accountable for that failure, they started doing different things on offense. And in the case of CD lamb, it was just throw to him more stupid, just throw him the ball stupid. And you know, they did that and it started working. And I think they kind of finally had the same realization occur about Brandon cooks. It's like, Hey, what if we actually just try to use him instead of doing the getting cute with like using him as a decoy so we can free up Cavante Turpin and Jalen Tolbert and Jake Ferguson. Like, no, Brandon cooks is not a decoy receiver. Throw him the ball, stupid. Just throw him the, throw him the ball and we saw in the game it was like oh right he's brandon cooks i remember him yeah and uh so he absolutely cooked uh last week for lack of a better word and uh you know i i feel like that this could be um another great spot for him and then uh on the other side of this if if we're taking kind of a, a longer view you got washington and seattle um, over the over the next uh, two weeks after this one. So, I mean, th- this could be something where, where Cooks can really help some teams uh, get over the hump in, in the fantasy playoffs. So I, I am a believer in him uh, here going forward. This Dallas offense is kind of making me eat my words. I'm definitely underweight on, on CeeDee Lamb in, in best ball um, and in redraft and having some pretty big regrets there, uh, definitely. Um, let's move on over. we got an AFC North battle between the Steelers and the Browns, big news coming out of Cleveland yesterday where Deshaun Watson ruled out for the remainder of the season. This, of course, uh, one day after I, I was in a state with legalized sports betting and being as impressed as I was with Cleveland on, on Sunday, I said, hey, 
I think this team can win the division. And you know what? I like the odds enough. I'll throw down a, a little bit on uh, on them to win the AFC. And uh, now Watson's out, so those are dead, deader than Disco. Uh, but I, I'm trying to trying to uh, just press on here. But what what are we expecting uh, in this game? That the line is now the Browns favored by a half point. Yeah, man, you've been forsaken by the football gods. You're like. You're a, you're a tragic, um, you know, like mythical tale at this point as a Ravens fan, <laughs> like just tilting so hard after losing to the Browns that you're just like, well, maybe, maybe my gotta pain be amazing, can, right? Yeah, maybe my pain can yet turn into something, you know, meaningful. It's like no, <laughs> just just burning whatever that money is, and uh, now you got to watch them lose to the Bengals too. Um, so anyway, uh, I, that yeah, that was that was bad luck though, and the Browns clearly they're not the smoothest operation, but they have some significant amount of talent and uh, going, going from Watson to Walker or, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson has to be better than Walker. Like we were saying before, but it's still just like, you know, they, they suck now. So uh, that's, that's too bad. Of course. Uh, Sorry about your bet and Ravens, both John. Um, Mm. I don't know what to make of Kenny Pickett versus this Browns defense. You know, the Browns defense is pretty gnarly, but Oh man, how th- this is this is a tough one for me, John. Really pretty, making me prove uh just just how serious I am about this Kenny Pickett hate and him being a slot receiver rather than a quarterback. I don't know for sure if I can convince myself that Pickett is worse than Thompson Robinson. Uh like I was never a big Thompson Robinson guy, so that that I'm that I've always been really low on Pickett doesn't it's not as easy for me to to just like I would assume Mitchell Trubisky is better than Pickett at this point, you know, but not Thompson Robinson. So, yeah, I mean, they're, it's two different categories completely like Pickett, you know, but it's debatable whether he should have been a first round pick. Right. But, but Thompson Robinson was always going to be a day three guy. Yeah. So uh, the usual reason that I would have to question the Steelers only loosely applies here, if it applies at all. And granted i'm I'm probably liable to like overestimate the tomlin effect especially since the browns defense should be good like almost unconditionally you know so it's 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 like how do i how do i even do i believe that the browns can't get to like 17 points because that's all it might take like this might be a really low scoring game from the steelers i don't know uh i gotta go with the steelers i guess just because I, again, I'm not really big on Thompson Robinson. Definitely think he's better than PJ Walker. I'll give him that. But uh, I, I just worry that the, the Steelers' defense, uh, especially with getting Porter at cor- uh, corner now, it's like that's that's an interesting variable. Having a truly good corner in that defense, that's something they've right. never really done. So yeah, it's it's a tough setup, and the Browns' defense can win it. It's just I think they have to pretty much. Right. They they absolutely do. I kind of believe that they they do have that horsepower to to do it. Um, yeah, that that was a serious looking bunch. Uh, you know, getting a close look at them on on Sunday, and that I felt like the the Browns are just they're a, a tremendously physical team. Like I, I think they're even more physical than the Steelers themselves. I mean, um, you know, they they you know David and Joku just mosh pitting his way uh, into yards after catch, just having guys fly off of him, like you know wiping away Patrick Queen like, like he's a mosquito uh, type of deal. So maybe there's a way here. I mean, going forward, I'm, I'm you know, concerned about what 
Amari Cooper and David Njoku shares look like. I think both of them, uh, I looked at uh, some splits for when Watson was out and when when he was in. The target share is about the same, but the productivity obviously um, oh, takes yeah. a huge dip when, when Deshaun Watson's out. So that that's obviously a bit of a concern. Um, but yeah, as, as bad as Kenny Pickett is, probably has the slight quarterback advantage here. But I don't know if that really means that he's going to like actually have the the better game here. I mean, he's, he's had all of one passing touchdown since the bye week in week six. Yeah. He sucks. He's He's really bad. bad. He's really bad. Uh, Yeah, man. I don't know. I guess this is one of those games that I wouldn't really want to pick because it is probably going to come down to just turnovers. And how do you how do you guess who has a turnover differ, uh, a turnover advantage in a game like this? So it's like Kenny Pickett versus Thompson Robinson. Kenny Pickett versus what might be the best defense in the league, more specifically, against Dorian Thompson Robinson. I don't know. Uh, I'll say Steelers again, but it's it's just if Kenny Pickett fumbles three times and the you know Miles Garrett picks one up for a touchdown and that's it's like a thirteen to seven win. That would not be the kind of thing where I'm like, oh my god, how'd this happen? What's what's crazy is, uh, and I, I still believe that you know the correction could come here, uh, but Pickett has only fumbled once this year, and he and it wasn't even a lost fumble, and he's not <laughs> thrown an interception since week four. So maybe check the, the his hands, check his hands week. for pine tar. <laughs> I think we need to. Some, something's got to be up check there. Check the he's, brim he's, of his helmet. He's spider tacking out there. Yeah. Um, his chin strap then, is is contraband. <laughs> I, I'm also suspect on a i think it's aiden o'connell's chin strap look what what's going on there it's like way too big just covers like the entire mandible and maybe like mustache support or something uh a mustache doesn't need that kind of support it it's, it stands on its own you know as, as someone who has a mustache um but i mostly kind of I, concussion I like, thing i guess with the must, mustache concussion uh safety that's got to be it that's got to be it uh either way if i'm if I'm picking this game, I'm probably just taking the under. I, I yeah, you know, there we go. 33, 33 at, at BetMGM. I'll take the under. I think this More like is like three, two, three, three overtime tie. Folks, there we have it. Let's uh, let's get on over to the NFC North. We, we've got the Bears going up to Detroit to face the Lions. The Lions seven and a half uh, point favorites in this one in the. Looking at Justin Fields, his status, he is fully practicing. So I think all indications are that he is going to take back over the Tyson Bagent era uh, over for now. Well, it was a, a good run for racist Chicago area sports writers, but uh, their their party is over. Uh, the, the real starting quarterback of the Bears is, is healthy enough to play. And so now the, the fan fiction about uh, Tyson Purdy is going to, have to be put on hold at the very least we're, we're doing um th- that that story is going to get the george rr R. martin treatment uh just gonna gonna leave that never come back to it gonna gonna pretend it's it's going fine if anyone asks but uh the tyson bajan hype is over uh it's it's a it's too bad that this isn't an easier defense for fields to return against it wouldn't be shocking if he has some amount of rust from this long of a layoff and the Bears are still, you know, a horrendously run team. So uh, they will get out coached here. They'll get out coached real badly. The question is kind of like how much 
does Detroit feel like, you know, unleashing here? And since it's since it's on the road, or sorry, though this one's in Detroit. I guess the, the Bears, or sorry, the the Lions should be able to roll here without doing a whole lot. Is how I see it. Um, like Justin Fields, if you keep him from running for 120 yards, you probably don't need uh, that big of a game from your own offense. So. Um, whereas if, if the lions really wanted to put 40 points on the board here, I think they could, I think they, they simply don't need to, or, or might not feel that level of urgency. So, um, you know, Jerry Goff's going to have a good game. The, the, the running game for the lions certainly seems difficult to screw up at this point, knock on wood. So, um, I guess they, they can just do a lot of like base offense, you know, just like get, get, 32 carries split up between Montgomery and Gibbs keep golf in, you know, some of the more primitive play action designs. You don't, you don't need to go deep in the playbook to move the ball against this defense. And um, they should just kind of roll on offense. And from there, I guess it's tougher to say like how much can fields strike back because I think Aaron Glenn's a really good defensive coordinator. And I think while um, I have questions about the Detroit like corner personnel, especially I don't, worry about them in a setting like this i would worry about those guys against a vertically oriented offense and offense run by a coach who won't be fired in a month and a half from now so i think that the bears you know it's great for fields to be back but uh they're just too stupid of a team to compete with teams like the lions at this point correct uh, i think that that's where i land on it as well fields uh, we haven't ranked it as QB 19 uh, for this week. I, I tend to agree with that. I have a lot of fields in, in redraft. I'm I'm not trying to start him if I don't have to this weekend. Yeah, it's uh, I, like I don't really want to bet against him specifically, but if you have a decent alternative at quarterback, it's pretty, especially in the floor sense, it's pretty difficult to to advocate for fields there. Yeah, I think so as well. So, you know, I in places where, uh, and as I often do, I have Sam Howell and Justin Fields that I'm probably starting Howell for at least this week. And I need to see what Fields looks like again. Can you believe this <laughs> world, John? Well, I can. Big well, Howell I know you can. Back. But yeah, like it's like Howell's going to throw for like 5,000 yards. This is wacky. <laughs> it's unbelievable while getting sacked a million times. Although that, that's yes. gotten cleaned up at least a little bit um, over, over the last uh, few weeks. But still crazy. Um, let's uh, let's keep rocking here. We've got the Packers hosting the Chargers. Chargers three point favorites on the road here against the moribund Green Bay Packers. The Chargers need this one badly. I you know I don't think that really matters in in the grand scheme. But I, I do think the Packers are just enough of a mess to wear. Yeah, I, th- I think the Chargers do go in there and, and take care of, of business personally. Yeah, I'm checking the forecast. It's apparently going to be in like the 40s. So no, uh, you know, it's cold at Lambeau concerns. I'm pretty sure Justin Herbert will be just fine. And uh, yeah, man, the Packers just suck. They they can't they can barely run, you know, just just basic plays. It's a it's a total mess. It, it's it's no bueno. It, they're they're about as tough of a watch out there as as any. Um, what do you think of Aaron Jones this week, though? I mean, we've been waiting for him to have the, the big game. He was limited um, at, at Wednesday's walkthrough. He generally has been seeing slightly more carries of late. Didn't have much in the way of success last week 
um, against the Steelers, drawing at least five targets every week since the bye. Um, but the, the rushing had the 20 carries against the Rams, got the touchdown in that one, regressed last week. But the Chargers, I mean, you were just talking about the, the Lions backfield. I know the Lions backfield on balance um, better than what, what Green Bay has right now. But you still feel like this this has to be a pretty good setup for Jones, no? It should be. And I definitely am a big fan of Aaron Jones. What I'm worried about is that he's hurt still. And I also worry that Matt LaFleur is getting so desperate that I worry that he's not being as selective and clever with his Jones usage. I think it's like at this point, LaFleur is just kind of giving the ball to Jones a bunch just because he knows like I have to start getting the ball to my best player and hope that that player just sort of gets me out of this and their problems are bigger than that. You know, like even, even prime Aaron Jones with the perfectly sound hamstring can't fix the things that are wrong with the Packers. And I, I won't, I wouldn't be surprised if LaFleur is just kind of like disheveled by it all. You know, it's like, it's one thing to be on the ball when, you know, it's almost like, you know, like a quarterback, like when you're in a, really easy offense with a great offensive line, great play calling. You you look, you can look like Bl- uh, Brock Purdy or you can take Trevor Lawrence and make him look like he has this year by just making everything just fall apart and be off rhythm with the Jags. And it's like, even as someone who thinks LaFleur is probably a pretty good offensive coach, he isn't one right now. And it's like, what do they have left? Like Aaron Jones, that's it. With a ba- injured Aaron Jones with an injured crap offensive line is what they have left and that's not the same as true Aaron Jones you know right it, exactly and then uh, on the other side I mean the 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 overall fantasy production has been fine for Austin Eckler um since returning from from his injury earlier but man okay so since the bye five games 76 rushing attempts he's averaging 2.8 yards per carry what's going on there uh, I think it's mostly just the matchups, but uh, like, you know, even I guess you'd say the worst one is the Bears of those, otherwise, the Lions. And I'm, so I'm pretty sure that all of the defenses that he's faced since coming back from uh, the injury in week six are top 10 run defenses. And this is this is all within the context of the Chargers being a bad rushing offense to start with, a, a predictable offense to start with. So you're not really seeing Eckler get any space as a runner, but you can tell it's not really his fault because his pass catching returns have been pretty much the same. It's like the, mm-hmm. the difference being in one situation, the space exists. And when he gets the ball, he exploits that space. Whereas in the case of his rushing production, it's like he can't do anything with this. No one can really do anything with this. And, uh, you know, not short of playing the dolphins, you know, like they did in week one, He's probably not going to get big rushing lanes this year. It's it's just not really uh, – it's not what the charges are built for, and it shows. So uh, the pass catching, he'll remain dependent on, I think. Uh, the touchdown should be there as a runner, though. I guess there's that in this game. Yeah. In particular, it seems like a good setup for that because Jordan Love versus that pass rush is the kind of thing that can go very wrong, even though the Chargers' corners aren't very good. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, we've seen um, that that Chargers pass rush, you know, didn't do a ton uh, last weekend. Obviously, the, the Lions got whatever they wanted, but um, against lesser offensive lines like the Jets on Monday Night Football a couple weeks ago, like they, they can just kind of take over a game and shut down 
um, an offense. So that that is a definite concern when it comes uh, to the Packers. And then uh, lastly, Keenan Allen pops up on the injury report. Um, and even kind of independent of that, do you think that last week was the start of something uh, in terms of Quentin Johnston having a pulse for fantasy? Oh, that's tough because uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it was a good enough kind of game, I guess, but four targets on 57 snaps still isn't very good. And uh, it's 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 not looking to me like they use Johnston in any way that uh, makes sense to them. Even it's like they're just kind of throwing him out there and hoping something happens. Whereas I, I think you can find you know examples of other other players certainly in other offenses where it's like this offense is totally in tune with what this player does what this player can do they've they've really got it figured out they've got him tuned up in the offense it's all it's all going great like when i look at this game from last week with johnson i worry it's just kind of like this is what was going to happen with almost anyone running those routes and that game where justin herbert throws that many passes you know um I don't know if they're using Johnston in the way that he basically should be. And, you know, this is something that I should have known would be a problem. And it's, it's something I lose, you know, not that I ever had faith in Brandon Staley figuring out anything in particular, but I'm getting more and more uh, despairing about it. Um, I don't think Brandon Staley has any interest in using Johnston in a way, according with his skill set. like even if he could, I, I don't think Staley has any interest in doing it. So when, you know, whereas Johnston maybe lacks dimensions to his game and needs to kind of be a downfield specialist, be a sideline specialist. Um, maybe he can't run eight yard in routes with, with excellent uh, hip dips and, you know, breaking out of his cut. Like maybe that kind of stuff Johnson's not good at. Staley will still just tell him to do it anyway. And I don't see them building around or building a role for Johnson that suits his abilities. It's like, to me, they're just going to kind of go like run that Josh Palmer route and then get mad at him that he's not Josh Palmer. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know. We, maybe Johnson's just trash and I'm like, you know, s- slow to pick up on it, but I particularly since Staley has just kind of this history at this point to me, I, I just am not inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt over Johnston. However, until Staley's gone, what's going to change for either of them? No, exactly. So, I mean, it's going to be, even though he shows the pulse last week, it's hard to to feel confident about starting him this week. It, if Keenan Allen is out, do you, do you raise the projection even still, or or would they? you think that, like, all of a sudden it's just like a big rug pull where, like, Austin it might be Mack more like the Jets game targets. where you just lower Herbert's projection. But mm-hmm. uh, so, so if I can say, if I can point to one thing that would have changed my mind about last week, if Johnson had caught those, if those four targets had occurred on like 25 snaps, and if he had caught four passes for 58 or 60 yards, I would have been like, hey, look at that. They're getting him going on some post routes. They're, they're getting him open on some fly routes. They're, they're getting him open on a corner route, something like that. But it looks like he just caught short passes, which he normally can't be relied on to do. And I, I worry, like, with when that gets taken away, what's left then? Right. No, exactly. Um, let's go ahead. Uh, let's grab a question here. This one's uh, interesting one, kind of tricky. A couple moving parts and pieces in it. Um, is it crazy to play how against the Giants um, or 
or would it would it be crazy to play Powell over Joe Burrow this week? And and mind you that this person, Jelly of the Month, the username, uh, has Baltimore as his defense could pivot off of the Baltimore defense. I, I would start the Miami defense over the Baltimore defense anyway, because Miami has uh they're coming off the bye and they're playing the Raiders. So feel okay <laughs> about about that defense. Um, but it Burrow versus Howell, it is tricky. I probably start Burrow, even even with like the softer matchup on paper for Howell. Yeah, uh, I totally agree about the defense. And the responsible advice is definitely to go with Burrow, but I don't think it's crazy to go with Howell. I think it's just like merely reckless, but yeah. sometimes reckless things work out. It's just the, the trade-off is sometimes they really don't. Yeah, then, then it's just a wreck. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's a tricky one. Um, I, I think Burrow w- would still remain the play, and then just flip, flip your defense from Baltimore uh, to Miami. And then uh, tying off this game, Matt wants to know if we have any concern over Justin Herbert rest of the season with with everybody basically banged up on that team, and then plus the the Brandon Staley factor. It's an know. immense it, frustration, but uh, part of the reason why Herbert was always such a stable fantasy pick even despite the upside that he you know at least before had even if he doesn't have it now uh the floor is so high just because the the good part of the staley factor which is like they have no interest in running the ball at all they are they are specifically disinterested in it so they didn't build the team to be able to do it so they can't do it and even if they could staley would still probably be the kind of coach who wants 40 pass attempts every week so uh, I don't know who's got the lead in pass attempt, like Howell, maybe Howell and Herbert. They both got to be up there. Howell, uh, sorry, Herbert is always liable to throw 40 passes in a game, which means even if he's only averaging six yards in attempt, he's at around 240 yards, which, you know, is probably like eighth highest in any given week at worst. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think Herbert, it's, it, it may be like he's better in fantasy than in real life, but at least he'll be useful in fantasy, I think. I think so too. Um, so I'd as long as he has Allen, him. if Allen's out, then never mind. Good. That's a that's a good um, you know caveat to to mention. Of course, um, let's go Cardinals Texans. Kind of an awesome game. I mean, now that Kyler Murray's back yeah. and the Cardinals look, look like they had a pulse, like that. Uh, you know that that's a credible side uh, now once again. And then the Texans are you know one of the big best stories of the NFL season so far. Yeah. And it didn't take long for Kyler Murray to show that, you know, this is not the cliff Kingsbury offense anymore. Like he, he didn't look so static and like glitchy like he did under cliff Kingsbury, even in his first game back to doing almost like ill-advised running feats. Uh, f- you know, I, I know he's had enough time to recover or whatever, but he, he was running crazy, like crazy, taxi style out there you know like it was it was not the kind of thing you see in a first game for somebody coming back from an acl tear like you just don't really see a player move like that so um i also think it was really encouraging not not terribly shocking exactly but encouraging that they got rondale Moore going more he played behind michael wilson who i also like but uh in that game against the falcons you know the falcons are just just crawling pace as an offense and they don't score many points so it makes sense that 
the Cardinals would use more two tight end sets because they're going to run more than they maybe would normally against the Texans, particularly at least if Stroud has, a, you know, the kind of game that he's had most of the time this year, the Cardinals are probably going to have to go more three wide than they did against the Falcons and Rondell Moore getting eight targets on a 35 snaps or whatever is kind of interesting. And it, it makes sense to me because it's like you're by going from Josh Dobbs to Kyler Murray, you're running so much more ambitious of a passing offense right there. And it, it makes sense that you would open up almost an entirely new route running position. Uh, more what was getting blocked out by, you know, the Cardinals having Wilson and Brown ahead of him and then running the ball like 40 times a game. And now they're going to run it, you know, maybe 30, something like that. So I'm interested to see if uh, Rondale Moore can keep it going. I, I think he's basically had a lot of bad luck to this point. And uh, yeah, it's like, like you were saying, it should be a good game because it's it's hard to find, uh, you know, a true weakness in either. Well, uh, I guess we'll see about the Houston running game, but Devin Singletary definitely looked a lot better last yeah. week than uh, he or Pierce had previously. So if Houston can get a running game going too, then you can truly say it's hard to see how either offense fails in most games, let alone this one where. Um, you know, maybe maybe one or both of these defenses will get somewhere soon, but they're not there yet. And, you know, they're, they're beat up in the case of the Texans. So uh, while I worry about, you know, Will Anderson, Greenard, eventually Stingley, you know, under the direction of Domingo Ryans, they'll they'll be a sick defense. I have no doubt. I don't think it's this week. So um, hopefully, you know, we can get another good game out of Kyler here. So the over/under is forty-nine. So it's it's wow. not sneaking up on anybody. But w- would this be your your game to kind of like, you know, uh, center your DFS interests around this weekend? Yeah, um, if only because it's kind of hard to find another game where both sides can punch back. It's it's a lot of the, the games that are close. It, it's generally like both offenses are bad like Cleveland Pittsburgh or whatever. Um, this is a game where it's close and both offenses appear capable. And I don't know if that's the case for any other matchup on the slate. Yeah, it's, it's should be fun. I'm very much looking forward to, uh, to watching this one. Um, might even have to give it its own screen because it, I'm pumped. Um, let's go on over. We've got Titans, Jags, Titans, Seven point dogs on the road against the Jaguars. It, the Jaguars, you know, they they come out of the bye. They're they're on a five game win streak, and then they just get smacked last week by by the 49ers. It was that was a heinous performance, I, I thought, from the Jaguars. Pretty much all around, uh, brutal game for, from Trevor Lawrence. And you know that I speak as someone who's heavily invested in the in the Jags this season for fantasy purposes, and it's. It's they're a bit of a tough watch right now. Yeah, it's been the same thing every single week. And, um, you know, people forget about it for little bits at a time because like the Jaguars play a really bad team and they they win easily. You know, they they beat the Falcons. They beat whatever, some other crap team. And so people sort of don't notice how horrible the offense was. And the narrative instead is like the Jags are getting hot or whatever. It's like, no, they're not. They suck. They're terrible. They are truly one of the like eight worst offenses in the league. If they didn't have Travis Etienne, they'd be one of the four or five worst offenses in the league. If they didn't have Trevor Lawrence, they'd be the worst offense in the NFL. And there's there's not nearly enough attention yet. I know it's picking up, but it's mostly just Jags fans 
like Sherwood Press Taylor is an all-time doofus of an offensive coordinator. Like you're not going to find one much worse than this guy in the rest of your life. It's incredible how bad he is. I don't know whether he has contraband on. Uh, sorry, uh, he, I don't know if he has uh, blackmail on uh, Doug Peterson or if uh, maybe Doug Peterson. Uh, 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 I don't know if it's Zach Taylor, Press Taylor's father. Is he a friend of Doug Peterson's or something? Is he his godfather? I don't know what reason there is for someone to get fired from the Eagles because he wanted Press Taylor as an offensive coordinator. Now doing the same thing with the Jaguars. And it's all just for reasons that I've been describing all year, John. It's it's the predictability. If it looks like the corners are knowing the routes that the receivers are running, it's because they do. And you never see a defender out of position when you're watching the Jags. You don't see it. No one is ever out of position. They are always there. Wherever the play is going, there's always someone there. This has not changed in any game this year. It's always been the same. It's just when they win... It's because of Travis Etienne doing Superman stuff or Trevor Lawrence doing Superman stuff. And then the narrative goes, oh, they did it. It's like, no, Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne did it. The offense is still dead, completely non-functioning. So, yeah, that 49ers game was not surprising to me. Uh, that was that was one of the most predictable outcomes, I thought, because, like, the 49ers were all in. You know, like, they they, they we knew they couldn't lose, and we also knew they had the means to win. The Jaguars, in a way, couldn't lose, but they can't do anything. They're a non-competitive team. On defense, they're competitive. Caldwell, the defensive coordinator, is doing a great job and carrying the entire team, uh, aside from, you know, ETN and Lawrence carrying the team. It's all Caldwell. And when the defense can't single-handedly win a game, the Jags just suck. They're terrible. And we know it's Press Taylor's fault because last year they had Marvin Jones at receiver playing the position that Calvin Ridley is this year. And everything got worse. Even before Zay Jones got worse, uh, got hurt. I remember, you know, people saying like, Oh, Zay Jones makes the offense go. No, the offense is just dysfunctional and the lesser players are getting usage because the offensive coordinator isn't good enough to get the ball to his best players. That is not an offense working. That's just Zay Jones looking better than Jamal Agnew. And that's seeming like the crux of the, you know, the fulcrum on which it all swings. It's not, it's, it's just not going to get better either until press Taylor and just about as likely Doug Peterson is fired. Very disappointing. I wouldn't be surprised if the Texans won that division. Yeah, Jags aren't winning it. They suck. <laughs> they are. I don't very, even trust them to beat the Titans, and the Titans suck. Mike Vrabel is a really good coach. The The Jags don't have that on offense. They, they have a really good defensive coach. But, you know, even though I think Levis sucks, it's like I don't think that the Jaguars' offense is better than the Titans. It's not. So, it sucks. It's a crap offense. Let, let's unpack that a little bit further. So, obviously, Levis has the crazy debut against the Falcons, has looked more probably like what we would have expected over the last what two weeks what do we, what do we do with them here this is like you said a pretty tough matchup on the road against a, a good defense uh i don't know it's yeah i would assume levis is not like the most accurate passer but i i thought all along like his processing would be the biggest issue with him and so Given the the prior you know book written on him, I'm inclined to see his struggles as just defenses throwing new things at him and him not knowing what he's looking at, and that would be excusable for a rookie. You know, it's it's uh there's there's going to be some games where you just get blindsided and your team's game plan just doesn't even get off the ground, and maybe that's all that happened last week. But because I'm a Levis pessimist, I can't really see him. Uh, while admitting that you know he has chance, he has time still to 
to to you know prove himself. I'm not inclined to 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 assume he'll do that or anything close to it. So more likely than Levis like having a good game here, if if it goes well for the Titans, I think it would have to look like they hide Levis and uh, as in like it's I think it's safe to say that if Derrick Henry doesn't get 20 carries in this game, the Titans aren't winning it. But particularly after a game like last week, I think if you're Vrabel and you're the Titans, you're no longer asking yourself the question, like, how do we get Levis going as much as you're you're kind of like, how do we move the ball without Levis playing like last week? And uh, if, if they don't prioritize Henry more this week, I'll be a little surprised. They, there's there's probably not going to be any returns there. You, you, the Jags defense is really good, especially against the run. But. Their only way to winning, as far as they have reason to believe now, is Derrick Henry getting to 20 carries. Even if it's a slog, even if it's like the whole time, it's it's like a painful struggle to get him there. You need to get him there because, you know, from carries 18 onward, the de- the defense you're playing, whoever it is, they're not as good as they were in the first quarter. And that's, you know, it's 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 the only way. They, they have no second option. No, they, they really don't. It's got to be a Derrick Henry game. Um like you said, I'm kind of expecting a slog, but that, that's just what the Titans need to do, extend drives. And, uh, yeah, I don't really expect much from this Jags offense either th- this week. So over-unders 40 and a half. I think, I think we're looking at an under um, in this one personally. Um, let's go on over to Raiders-Dolphins. Dolphins at home coming off the bye 12 and a half point favorites in this one against the, the Raiders who have looked – better since uh since firing josh mcdaniels of course but you know, no necessarily impressive wins over the last two weeks just beating the, the giants and the jets of course dolphins have you know kind of been a little bit like the afc version of of the the cowboys where uh they they can really crush the the bad teams good teams give them a good bit more trouble of course and it's harder for them to get over the hump in those setups but Raiders probably qualifies a bad team. I understand the spread in this one. I'm I'm kind of leaning the Dolphins here, but but what do you think? Well, uh, if the if the Raiders can cover, I think it's because Josh Jacobs kind of just took them there, and in, in, in doing so, took enough time off the clock that the Dolphins couldn't just run the pass attempt volume too high. But the higher the pass attempt volume gets for the Dolphins, the more they win by, and. Uh, if Josh Jacobs doesn't carry the the Raiders' offense, I I think O'Connell's bad enough that you worry about him against pretty much any defense, uh, but you know certainly including this one. So yeah, I I would lean toward the Dolphins covering, but uh, Jacobs is you know he's good and he's getting going a little bit, and the Dolphins' run defense is quite bad in my opinion. So uh, yeah, I think I think they've got they got a shot to cover, John. Yeah, I'm not a Raiders hater for for the record. And in, in the comments, uh, got a a KG Wiley Raiders fan. I I, I don't crap on them the, the way we do a lot of other teams. But uh, playing the Dolphins in Miami, like I'm sorry, like the the, the Dolphins are just Raiders. The why would, even Raiders fans know the Raiders suck? It's not <laughs> it's not a fun time anyone's having over there. It's just like the 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 way Raiders fans should be looking at this is like, hey, we might have by by miracle found our, our coach of the future even though he was like he was he was working under the guy who is the worst coach of all time that we for some reason hired and you're talking uh, about herm edwards uh is he on that team 
No, he he was uh, with, with Herm at, at uh, Arizona State. Antonio Pierce was? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. But, yeah, Antonio Pierce seems um, pretty encouraging. So Definitely. Uh, that's that's uh, Raiders fans should just be kind of like, hey, you know what? It looked like we were going to just be awful all year and not have anything to show for it. Where it's like, at least you're, you're going to have a high pick and you maybe have a coach who can, you know, you can really build something with. But uh, Aiden O'Connell playing well in the meantime, uh, don't get greedy. I, I I do like the Jacobs call for for this week. I, I think Jacobs this, could have a really good game here. He could he could be like the running back one this week. I I can absolutely see that the the Dolphins definitely are are soft against the run. And then I thought it was encouraging to see Michael Mayer uh, catch a touchdown that this past week. Uh, you, your thoughts on on him kind of going forward? Uh, I know we kind of talked a little bit off off air over the course of the week about, you know, this tight end class, obviously Laporta and, and Kincaid are, are looking good, but, but Mayer overall, you know, on, on paper coming into the season looked like he was the best of this bunch and it's maybe starting to show a little bit. Yeah. I was really high on Laporta. Like I had Laporta ranked ahead of Kincaid, but even so I had Mayer ranked tight end one and I, even before last week, you know, even if Meyer hadn't had a good game last week, I'd still believe it right now just because uh, we can't evaluate them on the the volume of their stats. It's, it's pretty easy to observe like, well, yeah, if Laporta and especially if Kincaid were playing for the Raiders, they wouldn't have done anything either, especially right. if they were making them split snaps with Austin Hooper and for like four of the first six weeks block more than they ran routes for some reason. Uh, Michael Mayer is really, really good. In my opinion, I think he, uh, I don't know. You're not expecting like, he's not an athlete on the level of, uh, like a Travis Kelsey or Kyle Pitts or whatever, but he is basically a better to me. Anyway, Michael Mayer is quite simply a better Zach Ertz peak Zach Ertz make him better. That's Michael Mayer. That's pretty good. We'll take that. So, um, I'm encouraged by him, uh, going forward. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think this will be a, a, a bad watch. I, I, I would much less rather watch Titans Jags than, than this one. I think this, this could be reasonably fun on the early window on Sunday. Last game of said early window, we got the Giants going to DC to face the Commanders. This line has come down a little bit if, if memory serves over the course of the week. Like this was uh, Commanders. Minus ten as of a few days ago. Now, now it's down to eight and a half or nine, depending on which which book you you're looking at. Um, so, uh, are they benching Tommy DeVito? What happened? Um, I'm I'm trying to to see why. I think maybe it's just the visceral of seeing a minus ten next to Washington. You're like that that simply can't be. Yeah, someone just said that's an error. <laughs> um, understandable enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would still take Washington to cover just because, I mean, John, Tommy DeVito, we've already established like Eric Dungy would have been a way better player, you know, and oh, yeah. uh, uh, like Ryan Nisib was a way better Syracuse quarterback, you know, oh, wow, he never was able to play in the NFL. So I don't know. I It's as simple for me as like the guy who almost, no, he did get benched at Syracuse, didn't he? Tommy DeVito had to transfer to Illinois because he got benched. That's right. Yeah, for for a you guy who at Syracuse, you know, and it's it's unless it's like a Joe Flacco case where, uh, you know, the where is it some uh, Curtis Painter, Dave Wanstead. Well, that was Pittsburgh. Yeah, I can't remember who Pittsburgh's quarterbacks were. It's like but unless unless there's it was, like, least, it was. I thought he was at so. uh, Purdue. 
Um, oh shoot, my bad. Anyway, we we we, we know we remember too many guys. It's a liability. Um, I think it's safe to say though, like if you're a quarterback at Syracuse and you get benched, you're not an NFL quarterback. You're not a you're not a CFL quarterback. Like you're not a you're maybe arena league something like that. So uh, Devito really is that bad, and it's you know it's kind of a shame. It's not it's not his fault. He did he didn't you know deserve to become a meme like this. But there's only one explanation possible, and it's that the Giants are tanking knowingly, and they want to leave nothing to chance. And you know what? This is the guy for the job. It really is. It's a yeah, a no show job uh, from the from the Giants at this point. It's uh, it's. It's a tough watch. Um, I think Washington, they would just basically have to get in their own way at this point. And, and you know, to, to, the, to the extent that the Giants defense was starting to kind of look like it was turning a corner in October, now you get the, the quarterback issues to the point where you don't have an offense anymore. And so you're just constantly on the field. If you're the Giants defense, like, good luck. Like, in, in Washington's offense is aggressive as hell. Like, they, they are, they're going to go crazy, basically, unless how it throws a bunch of interceptions yeah and, and Howell, i guess could have you know a meltdown game or something but short of that i don't understand how washington uh, how the giants cover let alone win the game you know I, I feel like if Howell gets sacked 12 times i still take washington to win yeah honestly it's it's that brutal what do you do with, with saquon barkley at, at this point start him yeah you gotta start him still but i mean it, it, when when people are starting rico dowdle in these streets uh there cannot be a saquon barkley on a bench anywhere is uh, maybe eight team leagues or something i don't know yeah exactly so you, you just you're expecting a lot of carries great um not a lot of yards at, at this point like he pretty much has to be superman to to do anything from scrimmage at this point it, it's 40 carries for 80 yards running back 12 sign me up sign me up all right let's get on over to the afternoon window uh we've got the bucks going out to san francisco uh to play the 49ers 49ers another huge spread here 11 and a half point favorites that seems to suggest that the odds makers believe that the the 49ers of last week and the first what five weeks of the season are more indicative of who they are than you know that that ugly three-game losing skid that, that, that they went on um, after starting the season so red hot. Um, they looked great last week, no denying that. I think the Jaguars definitely you know, played a hand in that in their, in their own right, but I do think that the, that the 49ers are quite good. I, I give the Bucks a little bit more respect than, than 12 points, so even though this being on the road. That is a lot of points. Uh, however, I agree, Like even though I, I was – describing jacksonville in all these negative ways it definitely a, a part of it was that the 49ers just were really good in that game uh it was it was a you know pretender versus contender textbook case simple as that so uh the 49ers also it's like so much so much of their struggles their their losing streak coincided with one particular injury trent williams and Trent Williams being back is huge. And even in this game, he wasn't healthy against the Jaguars. He was probably like 75% at best or something like that. If he's getting better, the, the whole offense is just going it, to, it, it's not even going to be like an incremental thing. It's just going to be like one day Trent Williams is healthy and just every, Christian McCaffrey seems to have wide open running lanes again. And it's just, it's, it won't be so obvious why it won't be like Trent Williams just took out four guys, but just everything will just start working a lot better. And, uh, this might 
be a game for that. I, I can't figure out what I think of the Tampa Bay defense. Like, I, I feel like they've got quite a bit of talent and they've got some good games this year, but then they got some other games where Todd Bowles just seems to get completely just rocked in the game plan. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's one of those things like the game is just kind of passing him by and uh, he'll still have his like moments of lucidity where he, 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 he looks like it's like, Hey, that's, that's like Todd Bowles, you know, 10 years ago, he's, 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 he's on it again. He's got it all figured out, but then it's, then you'll have a game like Houston's and it, you just, it's like this, this can't happen. If you're also a decent coach, like you've, you've lost too much to fit into that category anymore. So I definitely expect the, the Buccaneers to get out coached on defense. Um, I just, I can't tell how bad it might get out of hand. And I, I don't know how much we need to assume they get, you know, 75 cents of production for every dollar of talent. And I, I do think something like that is, is happening now. So I definitely expect the 49ers to roll, but uh, I don't know if, if someone like Carlton Davis is healthy, you know, maybe that, maybe that makes Debo Samuel less viable. Maybe it, maybe, maybe it narrows the margins just enough to get it to more like a 10 point win than a 13 point win. I don't really know, but uh, one thing I'll say is I am not optimistic for the Buccaneers offense at all. Even though the, the 49ers have been shown for lacking cornerback depth. I think you need to have three, at, at least three credible route runners including at least one credible downfield route runner or you need two and a running quarterback and baker mayfield doesn't quite fit that category to me so um what you should be able to do if you're the 49ers is put Javarius ward with a little safety help on evans that's a wrap you put double team on godwin every play um you you maybe give up some chain moving you know you, you don't get the shutout but you never let them get within striking range of your point total if you run the defense that way here no, exactly. And then um, looking at, at a couple uh, fantasy items, we got a question in the chat from from Master. Um, full point PPR league, do you prefer Debo or DeAndre Swift rest of season? Because there's a potential trade here in this league. Hmm. Uh, I lean Debo, but I, I can't tell if I'm drawing on anything other than just like my preseason rankings in my head. Uh. I don't think you have to ha- prefer either side, really. I just, Eileen Debo, uh, you know, acknowledging that Swift can be a running back one when he's at his absolute best. I just, I have no faith in the Eagles uh, personnel management at running back. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see any predictable rhyme or reason there other than like, there's just, we love Kenny. So if that's the plan, I just kind of lean Debo if on that basis, if I need to. That, that's definitely understandable. I, I think my frustration with, with the Niners and fantasy outside of McCaffrey is that um, it, it feels like it, it's never everyone going off at once. It's like it, it's Brandon Ayuk week. It's oh, yeah. a week and then it's Debo Samuel. You know, so like the, the week to week consistency is what what scares me off of Debo a little bit in, in this particular um, toss up. So I, I still lean Swift. I'm not super strong. I totally acknowledge I could be wrong, but I, I just feel like Swift at least has the week to week floor. Uh, for the most part, and maybe the Eagles will come to their senses coming out of the bye when it when it comes to the that kind of. I didn't realize usage. they're giving him so much usage. Actually, too, it's like the, just he's just not doing a whole lot. So uh, that's interesting. He could get better, m- maybe. But uh, you're, you're right, Debo. Uh, th- there will never be an, a 49ers offense with Brock Purdy, where all 
three of the pillars are, are, are rolling at the same time. It's like it's always two at most. And oftentimes it's a it's a deliberate Shanahan thing to play off of one threat as a decoy given game plan. Right. It, exactly. Um, so there's that. And then uh, rounding it out on the, on the Buccaneers side here, Rashad White's seen 20 carries each of the last two weeks. Um, yeah. I, I think you, you don't expect him to, to have a great rushing day in this one, but you you at least hope when, when you're analyzing Rashad White that he can do something in the past game. But I worry about the athleticism of, of those uh, 49ers linebackers kind of neutralizing what he can do as a, as a pass catcher. Like last week, he obviously kind of saved himself with, with that long touchdown reception. I don't really see that here. I think you still start him, but you're not expecting like a spike week from him. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with all of that. Uh, but while I was just talking about how I think Ward, a safety, shuts down Evans and then, you know, safety help on Godwin contains them. Uh, Rashad White dealing with, you know, Fred Warner at all. That's uh, that's that's about as bad as it can get. So, yeah, I feel like the 49ers have just extreme strength at the few parts of the field that the Buccaneers are entirely dependent of their offensive usage. So I, it just seems like the 49ers are one of the worst matchups possible for this offense, in my opinion. Yeah, I, th- I think so, too. So the, the Bucks defense is going to need to keep them in this game. And to your point, Todd Bowles might not necessarily uh, be up to that challenge against Shanahan and what, whatever he's uh, cooking up. Uh, all right. I'm looking forward to this one. We got Bill's Jets. I think people, people, uh, you know, we've been standing on this island uh, for a little while. I think you even longer than, than I have, but I was very pessimistic of, of the Bills coming into this season. I, I had their, more than their... me. I mean, I, I, uh, I don't, I can't believe, you know, you, well, you'll get to it. Sorry. <laughs> yes, it, I certainly will. Um, but you know, I, I took the under on their ten and a half uh, win total. I didn't know it would look like this though. I thought I'd be like okay. really, really sweating that, sweating that out, but. I mean, you look at the standings in the AFC right now, they're behind or they're they're only uh, ahead of the Raiders because of a head to head win. Like they, they need the tiebreaker over the Raiders. They, they've had some some tough losses uh, within the, the conference and they have an absolute gauntlet of a schedule going forward. I mean, de- defensively, I mean, we, we saw what happened against the Jets in week one weird game. I, I'm not going to hold that against them too much, although Josh Allen did have tons of turnovers in that game and turnovers continue to be an issue for, for him. Although always important to note, if you ever listen to the broadcast, it's simply because he is too competitive. Um, it's never anything else, never truly Josh Allen's fault other than just, just wanting to win uh, so badly. But going forward, you've got the the Eagles on the other side of this game. You got the bye, then you got at Kansas city, Dallas at the chargers. There, there's really only one guaranteed win here on the Chargers schedule and that it's oh that that one that one <laughs> they, they need that one but sorry uh, i had to against, say that you did uh home against the patriots although they did lose to the patriots earlier so maybe that even is i literally believe that the Chargers are an easier win for them <laughs> yeah, i mean d- division stuff crazy stuff happens but what you know you, you see what happens on monday night and and i i liked the the broncos to cover be, because it felt like you give them a little bit more than a touchdown that they're coming off the bye. I felt like the Broncos were starting to maybe find some modicum of a pulse after a really rough start to the season. You know, they, they beat the chiefs going into the bye. So I was like, oh, you know, I can see the Broncos like hanging around. I didn't expect them to win that one outright the way they did. And, and it seems like things are crumbling in a hurry. Um, it, it, it you know, it, you 
you have the the brutal end of game sequence where, where you send everyone on the blitz the, the Broncos pick up some chunk yardage get themselves into field goal range then they, they, they're hustling onto the field they, they they miss that rushed field goal attempt but hey there's 12 <laughs> guys on the field so therefore you have to fire your offensive coordinator about that one right that's that's what really gives away the whole thing and makes it mm-hmm. all stink so bad is even as someone who is a Ken Dorsey critic, and I, I definitely was, I, I thought he was no Dable. Uh, I didn't think he was figuring things out quite as fast as, as I wanted. You know, I specifically hated the whole two tight end theory of the offense. I hated the way they used Deontay Hardy. I hate Trent Sherfield playing snaps over Khalil Shakir and Deontay Hardy. There's all these things that I see them uh, wearing away at a margin that they couldn't afford to. And that always bothered me. However, Ken Dorsey is like you were getting at. He's not like the single reason they lost that game. And you could tell it was just a kind of rotten. Um, I don't know what this is, what the right word is. It's um, it's, it's not, it's not done in a sincere effort to improve the team it was done as like a sacrifice you know it was it was like scapegoating of course but it was more specifically like sean mcdermott just just deciding like we're going to fire him uh just because somebody needs to pay and it's not going to be me right and uh, it's it's not quite as rotten seeming to me as when frank reich fired marcus brady with the colts but it does feel like that the only difference is i i think jim ursay gave frank reich a very sp- specific ultimatum like you fire somebody or i'm gonna fire you and so reich was like uh what if we fire my offensive coordinator will that work and Ursa's mm-hmm. like, fine and then four days later or say fired reich too um in this case i think it was more like sean mcdermott was firing dorsey because he wanted to do something before he had that conversation you know we, be it with beam or uh, bean or uh what's his name uh, pagula whoever it would have been in in the analogy for, for mcdermott so um yeah mcdermott fired Ken Dorsey knowing perfectly well that it was not going to fix a problem. He did it because he, he, he thought it would buy him time and that's as rotten. And the players must know it. The players seemed to really like Ken Dorsey. Actually, it, 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 we're like three weeks removed from there being press about how Ken Dorsey is seen as like this bright light in the Buffalo bills organization and like a, a, a genius who's just inevitable who's who's going to have his time you know as a as a leading coaching figure in the nfl and then this happens and like you said john it was it was following a defensive meltdown a a game management meltdown from the special teams and, and the head coach so uh not gonna fix whatever problems they were having and just about as importantly maybe more importantly whatever they do without Dorsey isn't going to address any of the things that he needed to improve on they're going to try to do the same offense just with a different play caller who I guess will get fired if if they miss another or if they lose on a field goal again or that that they that they almost won on initially before the 12 men penalty it's crazy um and again I am not a Dorsey fan but it's it stinks and um I think Sean McDermott basically like besmirched himself and is filthied and uh is karmically hellbound now yeah it it felt like that there was almost like an activation button clicked on everyone's brain on monday night if you're looking at twitter where i'd never really heard any 
rumblings of, of McDermott potentially being on, on any sort of hot seat, even with how the season was going. Now it feels like his seat is scorching. Like he, he might be in more danger than Ron Rivera. Um, Maybe that's a stretch. Don't say that, John. Don't say I know, I know. like that. <laughs> um, no, you're right though. It's, 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 um, I don't know if it's irony exactly, but the, the a funny thing about this decision of McDermott's to fire Dorsey now is that it's it's kind of like going, you know, all in and, and getting called on it. And now you you really need to deliver now because in and not just like, oh, we eked a wild card spot. It's like you need to conclusively demonstrate that Dorsey was the problem and that you had an idea of how to fix the problem and that you needed to get rid of Dorsey for that fix to occur. And if they don't improve on offense, if they if they keep having the same struggles, I, the question, I guess, at, at that point is, it's like, does McDermott make it through the whole year? Or does does the alienation build toward him specifically, especially after firing a guy who, by all accounts, was well-liked in the organization? It, it, sometimes players just say, like, we're not cool with this, you know? And, and McDermott's, I think unwatch for that kind of thing because he he basically is behaving like a scoundrel and there's there's no way anyone can find him to be a good leader right now no so that they are all of this to say is uh the bills are a bit of a mess right now um and it's uh it it's tough um it, hard to hard to analyze it this team going forward if, if they're like in the midst of the of this kind of meltdown now they need a scheme that- change they need to change their whole offensive approach. And it's like, you can't do that in season by firing Ken Dorsey. You know, you just, you're going to run the same system worse. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's going to happen here. And when you're going up against the Jets defense, like that's, that's a pretty like scary, uh, you know, realization here. So the over under here is set at 40. The, uh, the bills are favored by seven, pretty much consensus line there. Can we trust them? Can we trust them to cover seven against the Jets team that that simply cannot score touchdowns? Uh, the Jets are so bad they literally cannot beat the Raiders. Uh, that would be that would be a pretty horrible, you know, fall from grace for the for the Bills to to lose this one again. But uh, the Jets defense is gnarly, and if if you're going to turn the ball over a lot, as Josh Allen, you need to score touchdowns a lot or you in a way do become worse than Zach Wilson as far as this one matchup goes, because Zach Wilson is not creating, he's not given the chance, but he's, he's also not creating as many turnovers, you know? So it's like, uh, if you're Allen and you're turning the ball over and not offsetting it with touchdowns, all you're really doing in effect is just giving the other team a shorter field to go than you need to yourself. And, uh, if if you're talking about who the better player is, obviously Josh Allen's so much better that it's I don't even like it, it's it's a uh, it's like one of those things like the Jets have to win by not using their quarterback like it's the only way they can do it. Uh, but it it's not necessarily better to get a bad high volume out of a quarterback than no volume of anything. Yeah, no, exactly. So I, I think the Jets hang in here once again with with the Bills and. Yeah, I, th- I think this is a close game. I think the Bills win, but yeah, you know, I, I don't think that that fixes. Yeah, the, their so season. the one thing I'm not not that I'm brave enough to predict that they lose, but you know, I want to say this is going to be 
sooner the opposite of the Antonio Pierce thing. You know? Yes, I was like, just thinking is, that. This is like if the, this is like if the idiot head coach fired the Antonio Pierce analog. So yeah, uh, the Bills, McDermott, he needs to get things going fast, or he might have a real mutiny on his hands. It, exactly. Um, Matt brings up the the point that I've definitely seen this uh, get tossed around that that uh, the, the Josh Allen defenders are really reaching for, for anything they can find to, to positively spin this where the metrics say that, you know, n- none of the turnovers are Josh Allen's fault. Um, as far as uh, expected turnover worthy plays, I believe is the metric. Josh Allen's always been mistake prone though. I mean, yeah, I, um, I'm in such a weird position on this because like I, I used to be against you know the peak of josh allen hype i'd be pushing back saying like no he's not this good and here are the reasons why and people are just like you're an idiot you're an idiot you know we're just posting pictures of my address at me um and then (laughs) it's like all of a sudden now it's like it hasn't even been two years and people are just kind of like oh also josh allen sucks and i think it's just it's just um the the it's like the whiplash the concussive whiplash that people feel from going from Josh Allen's is good or better than Mahomes to just being told by reality so flatly like that was a stupid thing for you to say you know it's like when when we get embarrassed by reality uh, get embarrassed yeah by reality like that it's like we it's not in our nature to blame ourselves it's in our nature to say like oh Josh Allen must be an idiot to the degree that I feel silly about my prediction of, of him being as good or better than Patrick Mahomes um, it's like the, pers- the the lack of perspective at each turn in the process is what stands out to me. It's like he was never as good as they were saying two years ago. He thus as like quarterback three to five or whatever he is, is not actually underperforming now. It's like it, it, this is a permissible level of play for quarterback three through five in a down year. You know, even the best players have down years sometimes. It's just it doesn't change the overall story with him. And yet, um it's it's like i don't know it, at the same time of course i don't want to defend all those stupid advanced metrics they're not advanced like especially epa uh messy messy stat to try to apply to players it's it's at most a team stat and when you try to conflate it to a single player you're basically just saying you don't understand how football works like you think it's it's like batter versus pitcher or something rather than an 11 part team function uh so that stuff's crap too but i do think there is something to the point that turnovers don't matter that much as long as there's tons of touchdowns also but the problem right now and especially against the broncos it's like you got the turnovers but without the touchdowns and so i will say for me it's like josh allen is kind of on notice you know it's like it's it's like yeah after you've played like this you need to get some touchdowns coming it's just also i think it's it's only fair to give him the chance to do that also you know no, exactly, exactly. Um, let's uh, let's move forward. In that case, we just uh, wrote the Bills' obituary, perhaps for for the twenty twenty three season. Uh, let's go out to LA. We got the Rams. We got the Seahawks. Uh, the Seahawks only half point favorite. So this game essentially a pick them. So that that seems to suggest that that Stafford uh, should be back in action here. The the Seahawks. I hope so. Man. It, so what's up with the Seahawks right now? I mean, do we do we just give credit to to who they played the last couple of weeks, or you know, is there is I don't know, man. I don't know. Overperform last year, yeah. No, I don't. Weird. Um, I do think they're one of those cases where 
they have too much of a sum of talent to just stay down. It's like if they're struggling, I think a team as talented as theirs will eventually turn the story toward like a, a an arc of improvement, you know, like they they'll get hot late in the year maybe. Maybe they'll be one of those teams where people are like, "Yeah, they were they were struggling early, but they they got going at the right time." If I had to pick a team for that kind of trajectory, the Seahawks would be on the short list, you know, both because they are that low right now, but also because it's like we know that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett can combine for 2700 receiving yards in a year no problem. We know that these running backs can do XYZ. We know uh, th- th- though their defense has gotten mixed results, we we know that there are several good players scattered throughout. There's there's certain production trends that are that are clearly good that they have. So I think uh, you know t- one thing I guess if if I had to pin one specific thing that the Seahawks have had worse results with this year, it's the pass blocking because of offensive line injuries, and uh, I guess the the right tackle is just kind of out. I can't remember how long, but. Charles Cross getting healthier, ideally getting Damian Lewis, the guard on the field all the time. He's He's been in and out of the lineup. That mm-hmm. might make Geno Smith more consistent when he's able to get to like a five, seven step drop without without getting clobbered. Um, that kind of stuff, if it settles into place, I think could set up the Seahawks for a bit of a rally in the second half of the year. However, the Rams are a tough matchup for them. I mean, it, it just, uh, you know, McVeigh had their defense really figured out the last time they played. And if, if the Rams have Stafford, it could just be simple as just game on for cup and Nakua both. Like you, you might get 1800 yard Cooper cup, just like, like pushing a button. The second Stafford gets back on the field. So that would be difficult for the Seahawks to, to weather. I'm d- I'm just glad that we don't actually have to see Carson Wentz. Like it, I, I was honestly, oh, Okay seeing Brett Rippon, even in one horrible game, I'd take that over watching Carson Wentz at, at, at this point. Like it, it, Carson Wentz just makes me upset. Um, but yeah, Stafford fully practiced on, on Wednesday. So it looks like he'll be um, good to go back, back in action there. So yeah, I do, I do think that this is a good setup for those pass catchers that they didn't have cup in, in the first game, of course, and the Rams are coming off the bye also. So, I mean, there, there's some positive tailwinds in, in the Rams uh, favor here that this I was initially surprised to see the line be what it is but now that now that we're kind of talking it out a little bit more I can definitely see it um what is your uh latest take on, on this on this uh Seattle backfield is, is Zach Charbonnet starting to arrive a little bit yeah I don't know if we're really going to get any uh closure with this backfield I think it's going to just remain in a flux um the question of whether Charbonnet takes more carry specifically might just be a question of like, do the Seahawks get leads in any games? And the tone lately has been close games where they need to throw the ball a lot. And so Ken Walker gets what he does, of course. And instead of there being carries 20 through 30 to give out, it's like they just stop at 20 and then Charbonnet mm-hmm. pass blocks 50 times. So that, uh, is good for Charbonnet that he's getting on the field in situations like that, but it's, it's kind of a maxed out situation as long as the rushing tally stays the same. And as long as Walker stays active. So uh, this isn't really the game that I would imagine it happening, but if there is a game where the Seahawks kind of get a first quarter lead and never give it up, maybe then you see the vision of the offense where it's like Walker gets 16 Charbonnet gets 12 
But until then, it seems like they're just kind of like playing catch up and Charbonnet is just their main blitz guy. Yeah, so that that's kind of a frustrating development where it's like, oh, great, he's getting on the field and oh, he's he's just not getting the ball. You know, I'll I'll pull this up here momentarily, but we, we do have metrics on our um, player pages uh, that that um, measure uh, your your touches per snap and. Uh, it's not looking great. It, it, let's see, snaps with a touch 27% uh, percent of the time. So basically one out of every four times that he's on the field, he is getting the ball that is fifth percentile among running backs. So maybe that, that corrects, but I don't know. I mean, like if they feel like it's working, then why would it, why, why would it change? I guess necessarily. Oh, it's, it's kind of just the circumstances. Like it, it's, it's not that, that, rate would hold in other circumstances it's just that they've had the same type of circumstance which is to say them trying to throw the ball downfield to to catch up or score quickly for whatever reason you know and in that situation you're not designing screens to charbonnet you're not handing the ball off to charbonnet you're just saying like we need to get past the chains here and we need you to pick up the blitz so that Gino can get to his fifth step in the drop and that's just kind of where they are structurally so if Gino doesn't need to take a five-step drop, if if they're, you know, not if they, if they have a lead instead of playing for behind or tied or whatever, uh, that Charbonnet touch per snap variable will change. Uh, moreover, it, it can't get any lower than it currently is, really. Sure. Okay. Um, let's get on over to our next game. We're, we're on to the primetime games. Uh, this one kind of sticks out among, among the other two primetime games, maybe uh, clearly the third best one. But even still, the way that each of these teams have, have played of late makes this one pretty interesting. I think if you looked at this game in September, you'd say, oh, my God, disgusting. Like, the, this needs to be flexed or or there should never be – like, they shouldn't even uh, say that they, that they do flex games because this would be disgusting. But Vikings, Broncos – Broncos two and a half point favorites in this one. First of all, I, I would like you to make some sense of what Minnesota did la- last week to the Saints. Well, some amount of credit to the Vikings, you know, Dobbs and O'Connor both, but that's just embarrassing for the Saints. And it, it would also look a little different to me if the Saints had been vaguely functional on offense. It's just, the, the Saints are a complete joke, and in that game, the players knew it too. You could you could just you could feel the disgust of of the Saints players uh, toward themselves, even, and it's uh, it's not the outcome you usually get from the Saints. And I don't know how much you can make projections based off of it for the Minnesota offense specifically. It seemed to me that there was a lot of this like bootleg play action kind of stuff they were doing with Dobbs, and it seemed like the the Saints were really struggling to handle that especially after like three seconds in a play they'd start doing broken play movement and it's like the saints had never done a broken pass play defensive drill in their lives it's like they they just they couldn't track the improvised routes at all so um you know the it worked for the for the vikings and you know credit to them for for executing it as far as they did but to me, it doesn't seem like a sustainable offense, both that you need to get a more varied sort of passing setup and 
you got to make more plays in structure. You can't turn everything into just, you know, NFL blitz scrambling drill kind of thing. Like you got to, you got to throw a slant on time occasionally. And I still don't have faith that Dobbs can do that. I mean, granted he's got much better receivers to work with in Minnesota than he did with Arizona, but it wasn't truly bad pass catchers in Arizona. Zach Ertz aside, I guess. And he was about, 61 percent completed at like 5.8 yards per pass like that's that's not serious that's that's a backup that's that's uh that's like tyler huntley numbers you know and Mm. it's it's fine for a backup and especially when you throw in the rushing production you're getting somewhere uh but the pass the the idea that like dobbs is a passing quarterback has arrived and is a proven commodity that's crazy to me and i think you see it as like an assumption now like people are all just like why didn't every team trade for josh dobbs it's because josh dobbs is a backup quarterback and he's gonna be a backup quarterback his whole career so uh that 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 like meme aspect of the whole thing is getting way out of hand i think and uh i don't know uh i don't want to say the broncos are well coached but i guess i'd be surprised if they came out quite as flat as the saints did you know and one thing that's important to remember too with that saints vikings matchup the vikings defense is bad and the saints should have been rolling on offense they just didn't because they're incredibly mismanaged so uh putting dobbs in a catch-up script is a different variable entirely too if they if the if the broncos who have played clean offense pretty much all year it's been impotent at times but it's been clean like russell wilson Mm -hmm. uh on pace for like 32 passing touchdowns and, and eight interceptions or something like that it speaks for itself. Don't ask me how they're going to get the yardage all the time, but that those touchdown to interception numbers speak for themselves. And against this Vikings defense, I don't know why Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy would struggle. I don't know why what has been a, a much improved season for Russell Wilson. I don't know why it would start to go off the rails here against this defense of all defenses. So I would lean the Broncos, uh, but you know, I've, don't get me wrong. It's not like I expected Dobbs to do as well as he did last week either. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought that after the Falcons game, like I, I thought that was an amazing like it, instance. I thought that was one of the, like the cooler uh, performances and stories of the entire season, but I thought the saints were going to go in there and, and, you know, make Dobbs look like what we've known Dobbs to look like. And, and he didn't. And I still, yes, I'm, I'm with you. I haven't, I don't believe that this is some sort of sea change, some sort of, uh, turned corner for, for Dobbs. We had that Titans um, game too, you know? It's like Dobbs has had chances. This idea that this is like, oh, he was just this diamond in the rough who never got a shot. Like, it's not true. No, that's not and true. And he still sucked with the Cardinals. He was just better than we thought. He was better than Clayton Toon. It was like, great. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. The, like, let's not double count this, right? So good for um, fantasy, I, though, as long as he keeps running and he keeps throwing the ball at Addison and eventually Jefferson. Yeah, so if Jefferson comes back this week, which we, we still don't know, I think we'll, we'll have obviously some more clarity on that as, as of tomorrow. But um, if he's back, feel comfortable starting him right out of the gate. And then also um, with, with Jordan Addison, do, do you worry about him uh, maybe seeing his role reduced a little bit? I do think Jefferson coming back would pretty much put Addison into like a five target per game kind of role at most. Uh, it would be you know kj osborne also is already toast justin jefferson i think has uh he's proven he's too good of a player to be doubted anytime he is active so if he's active you have to start him i think yeah i i, I think so as well but yes it, it's important to, to note that when it comes uh to addison and then 
Uh, anything else uh, on the Broncos side of the ledger as far as, as our fantasy discussion is concerned? You, you said a pretty nice-looking setup for, for guys like Judy and Sutton. I think so. Um trying to remember. I guess uh, the way you hurt the Vikings, as, as far as I see it, is you get a little bit downfield on them. Like Byron Murphy runs like a 4.55 at 185 pounds or something like that. Like that guy cannot defend 10 plus yards downfield he's really good underneath he's comfortable underneath so don't play there like go downfield make him turn and run make caleb evans turn and run and i feel like the this i feel like the broncos have done a good enough job of setting up russell wilson for that situation that if they set it up here there's reason to believe he'll he'll land some strikes uh i feel like judy is due for a big game and I, I like Sutton. Sutton getting a bit of a renaissance season is cool. But Judy on a per snap basis has been rather productive. It's just like his snap count has slightly lagged Sutton lately. And uh, the Broncos haven't thrown the ball much. You know, they they don't throw the ball 30 times in a game. So um, right. with that said, Judy is still getting open and these corners just can't cover a guy like him. Yeah, I don't think so either. And then, yeah, this wasn't the the greatest week for, for waiver wire options. I think I have an idea of what, what your answer might be, but uh, with Ty Chandler, you know, assuming that, that Madison uh, is out or limited, which, you know, he did not practice on, on Wednesday. You think Ch- Chandler is like a, you know, a, a spot star type of guy. Yeah. If he's getting the work, um, obviously usage at running back is, is currency in itself. I will say he is really bad. And it's, it's so funny to me that, uh, in that game, people started saying like, Oh man, he looks so much better than Madison he ran like three sweeps. They, they ran a couple sweeps with him uh, probably off of like a, a fit, like a fake bootleg kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, he ran to a corner. He can run in a straight line to a corner. Even I have conceded that much all this time. He's somewhat fast and certainly yeah. a lot faster than Madison. So if the task is running a straight line to point B and the point B is off on the corner here, that's what Madison can do where he starts to stumble, which is to say every other carry, but those three or four in that game is when you're going between the tackles at all, when it's, when it's not bounced outside, when there is something of a processing moment, when you have to process with your mind and keep your feet moving in, in concert with your mind and your reads all in that setting, Ty Chandler becomes a slow player. Like he, he has to spend so much time processing that he's like becomes a buffering sort of thing. And, um, he doesn't he he runs like with determination and he runs hard but he runs blindfolded and i can't remember what exactly his figure was at in this game but i i could have sworn john that he went like he went something like 10 carries and must have gotten about 5 yards on them in this game cuz I, I thought he had something like 40 yards on 5 carries at one point and he finished with 45 on 15 like his yardage just stopped in the second quarter even though the carry count got to 15 starting, you know, from three or five or something like that. So uh, I don't know. I mean, the Broncos run defense has to be a little easier to move on than the the saints, but Ty Chandler needs, he needs open space. He needs the C to part. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, he, if the C parts, he's fast enough to run through it, but that just makes him the same as like 95% of NFL running backs. You know, it's like yeah, fast exactly. or not, it's, it doesn't show up. No, I, I'm with you there. So I think, you know, in the short term, 
people are desperate at this point. They flex play. Like I'd play yeah. him over, you know, the Dowdle types of the. I'd probably play him over even like Kate, Keaton Mitchell or something like that, just because Madison could get 15 carries. Right. Um, let's go over to the main event. Oh, sorry, uh, Chandler. Sorry, Chandler. Chandler. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's go Monday Night Football. We got the Chiefs playing host to the Eagles. Both these teams coming off the bye. Uh, two of the top three teams as far as uh, Super Bowl odds are concerned. No surprise there. Again, obviously a rematch of last year's Super Bowl. I'm very excited. I think everyone's very excited. This is probably the regular season game of the year. Um, can't wait. But, you know, how, how do we see this one uh, unfolding now, now that both these teams are going to have an extra week to prepare? we got the Chiefs as uh, two and a half point favorites in this one and the, the over under. Just 45. So a lot of respect to the defenses on both sides here coming from the odds makers. Yeah, I definitely have a lot more respect for the Chiefs defense than most people do. Although I guess uh, maybe there's some some more awareness uh, as time goes on that the, the Chiefs defense is no joke. Uh, the Chiefs defense, I don't know, it, it might be something like a top eight kind of defense the eagles have been disappointing if anything on defense and I, I can't tell how much of that is uh you know just due to the injuries at corner especially avante maddox don't know if uh the kevin byard trade will maybe turn the tide the other way it very well could I, I certainly you know i don't want to bet against any defense that has front four personnel like the eagles have so um I, I certainly respect them, but it must be noted their pass defense has not been very effective this year. And I wonder, like, wh- what about the Chiefs would make that turn for the better? I, it's hard for me to, while acknowledging there's a chance that Patrick Mahomes kind of just doesn't do that well in this game, it's like, why would why would the defense that's given up so much passing production this year all of a sudden look good against the Chiefs? And I can't convince myself that it makes any sense. So... I, uh, I I wonder, you know, what does Spag speak, St- Steve Spagnolo have cooked up for the for the Eagles offense? And uh, Spagnolo, he's kind of a weird coach because it's he's he's um he's not exactly like one of the most feared defensive coordinators, but he's 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 just uh, he's seen a lot and he has at times been quite creative uh, relative to the rest of the league. It's like maybe Steve Spagnuolo doesn't have an annually elite defense, but it's like he's come up with some of the more memorable just tricks as a defensive coordinator over the past 20 years. And I think it it would not be shocking if he had a really good sense of, of how to challenge the Eagles offense or at least better than most teams. And, as far as what the, what I you know what that results in, I, I I'm thinking something like pretty much everybody other than AJ Brown might struggle, and I say everybody other than AJ Brown because AJ Brown's just not subject to natural law, and no. he can just ex- transcend any single circumstance. So the question though is, it's like if if Devontae Smith has had a kind of down year, and he has, and if his down games have kind of coincided with these moments of um, slight struggle for the Eagles, like struggle that didn't happen last year for Smith or the Eagles, then like, do I expect this to be the setting of all settings where Smith breaks through? And at once I, I do consider Smith's resurgence inevitable. Like I, I absolutely think he's the real deal. I, I don't think that his struggles are, are the kind of thing that are going to last, 
but uh, I would have I would have felt more comfortable projecting that against a lesser opponent than this. So uh, I'm leaning Chiefs, but it does turn into one of those things. Uh, if Devonta Smith has a good game here, it becomes one of those things where that alone makes me concerned for the Chiefs because they don't have so much obvious firepower themselves. I'm like I'm just right. kind of deferring to the general Mahomes factor. So with, with Devonte Smith specifically, last week or I'm sorry, last season we had sort of a parallel circumstance, right, where uh, Dallas Goddard gets hurt. Devonte Smith started going off and basically established himself as someone that people were comfortable taking uh, early third, late second uh, in fantasy drafts this year. Do we do we see that type of usage uptick um, with with Goddard being sidelined with that injury? Yeah, I should have phrased it differently. Um... Smith will have a better game than he's had in a while. I think like without Goddard that necessitates the usage yeah. for Smith. It's like either AJ Brown goes for 240 yards, which I guess could happen or Smith goes over like 110 or a hundred or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, yeah, cause otherwise how, how are you getting Jalen hurts to t- so much as like 220 yards passing? Like he, he needs to get well past that. And if, if, if he does, Smith has to be pushing like 80 or 90 at least, I feel like. So uh should be a good game for Smith. But uh, yeah, I guess I guess we'll find out like without Goddard, is Brown and Smith enough uh, or is Hertz? Uh, well, might Hertz kind of um, struggle to throw the ball because he doesn't have the usual like firepower advantage that he has like any other games. Like when you have AJ Brown, Goddard and Smith on the field, it's kind of hard to be a bad quarterback, you know, and uh, this game, not that I'm trying to predict a bad one for Hertz, but it, you could look at it as if this is a good game for Hertz, it, it would be more impressive than, you know, the usual good game that he has. It, it, it would mean a little right. bit more. No, de- definitely. I mean, this is obviously a huge spot uh, for them. Is there anything in this tight end room behind Goddard that interests you one one way or the other? It seems like Jack Stoll is sort of the, the de facto. Uh, he's just a blocker. I think it's got to be Calcaterra who gets the next rep. Or um, I obviously, I think Albert Equigwinum can play, but I don't know why they even wanted him. He's Albert Equigwinum is the tight end version of Rashad Penny. Like they're both very yeah. like they're very very like easygoing guys who don't do the rah rah crap and like people hold it against them like he doesn't look like he's trying that hard. I was like, well, it's fine. He's really talented. If you must understand it this way, then it's okay if he's not trying that hard because he's running a four four nine at two hundred and fifty eight pounds, and it's just probably is easier to him than it is for Jack Stoll. You know, it's like Jack Stoll goes. Chug, 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 chug when he runs. And that's better than Albert Equigwinum, who just goes, whoop. You know, like that's <laughs> that's not as football-y to me. That's not as gnarly and cool to me. Like, just get the big fast guy on the field is what I believe. Give the big fast guy the ball and tell him to run with it is what I believe. Um, the Eagles are, they're kind of, I think, huffing their own farts at this point with like their whole thing about like, we have a culture, we do it a certain way here. Like if your culture is Jack Stoll over Albert Equigwinum, your culture is losing to teams like the Chiefs. So mm-hmm. whatever it means to you, I don't care. Uh, yeah, no, well said. Um, I, I, I do expect the, the Chiefs to, to win this one and cover. Uh, I just hope that it lives up to the hype. I, I have no reason to believe that that it won't, um, especially with both both teams coming in well-rested. Hopefully Jalen Hurts, you know, obviously he looked a little bit gimpy during during that Cowboys game. So hopefully the last two weeks have been able to, to get him 
back closer to 100%, but um, I think we're potentially looking at a, at a classic here. If, if memory serves, the, the Monday night game before Thanksgiving five years ago was like the greatest Monday night football game ever, the, the Rams-Chiefs game. I don't know if it's going to be the same level of shootout necessarily, but in terms of just general intrigue and quality, high-quality football play, I think we can see it. Yeah, I'll. Uh, I would trade this game for uh, as a as a trade off. I mean, uh, you know, f- four more Raiders Steelers Sunday night footballs. I, th- I think it could be worth that much. Yeah, I'm with you there. Honestly, this is this is gonna be sick. Cannot wait. Um, but that's gonna wrap it up for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, presented by our friends over at Circa and over at Splash Sports, and thanks to our podcast hosting network, Blue Wire. For all the good stuff they do for us. Uh, sorry to to the audio listeners uh, that uh, for our executive co-producer Bentley uh, making his presence known a handful of times uh, d- during the pod. But oh well, um, it's just sometimes you just have a dog. You have um, to keep the but, pod studio safe, and you know so- sometimes like, it was like the drifters from the other time. You know, like he's got to scare them off. It's part of the. It's uh, just part of the deal. No, exactly. He's. The, the best guard dog anyone could ask for. But anyway, that's going to wrap it up for us. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thank you for listening, and uh, let's have a great week 11. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.